Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Drill to Detail and this time I'm pleased to be joined by two guests that actually work just a few desks down from me at the company I'm working with at the moment called Qubits. So Will and Mike, welcome to the show. Hi Mark, thank you very much. Hi. Um, So Will and Mike were the authors of a new research paper that Qubit brought out this week, which actually I thought was very interesting and very pertinent to the the kind of big data world and the kind of the analytics world that I work in and listeners uh, listen to. Um, actually, it was also featured in Hacker News, which was uh, particularly interesting. Um, and it's also particularly topical because of the news uh, last week that Amazon were acquiring Whole Foods Market and expanding once again from their kind of e-commerce kind of empire. And, you know, putting putting a lot of kind of concern really in the, in the minds of other e-commerce companies that are trying to compete. So, um, Will, give us a summary, first of all, of, of, of uh what the paper was and actually what you two do. Um, and then what we'll do then, we'll start to drill down uh, after that into a bit of the history of this kind of uh, this kind of industry and then kind of how, what Qubit are doing and what the paper is about. So just kind of summary of what you do, first of all. Yeah, of course. So me and Mike uh, both work uh, kind of with the data science team at Qubit. Um, and what we've done with this particular paper is look at a whole load of experiments we've done. Qubit works with 200 plus clients and we aim to try and improve revenue by running experiments. Uh, now, obviously, not all of these experiments work. Um, we thought we'd go through the 50,000 or so that we'd done and try and understand which of them worked and which of them didn't. So to do that, we had to categorize them. Uh, we did some interesting statistics, used some very interesting statistical models to do this. Uh, and at the end of the day, we managed to work out, OK, some types of treatment, such as perhaps uh, a button color change or uh, resizing an element or work- messing around with an image, don't tend to do very much. Um, whilst other types of treatment... Uh, that tend to affect how you perceive the value of a product do. Um, and, and so we, we tried to go into as much depth as we possible, possibly could to understand which of these treatments did something and then which were probably a waste of time, um, <laughs> as we think. Okay, so Will, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in, in, in that kind of mm. intro there, really. And I'm conscious that, you know, obviously, when I came to work with Qubit in the area I'm working with you now, um, I was familiar with the data platforms you guys use to kind of land data in and the general kind of techniques that are used to do the research that you're doing. But there's a lot of language in there that people wouldn't understand and, and wouldn't kind of get really. So let, let's kind of let's take a sort of step back. And, and mm. um, so if you think back to probably what a lot of people who work in IT are familiar with, they're familiar with kind of e-commerce sites and they're familiar with building websites and so on but there's a whole industry isn't there that that qubit kind of came out of but now is in a different area but a whole industry of trying to get those things to be more valuable and more productive and so on for the site owners i mean talk us a bit through the history of that and some of the words you've been talking about yeah of course so a long time ago i think it was 2001 was the first experiment that was done um done by google i believe and they were looking to try and change how people interacted with the search term and now these kind of experiments online are very simple you have one version of the website and then you have an improved version of the website or what you hope to be an improved version of the website you randomly send some people to one side or the other uh, and you find out whether the improved version caused changes in behavior that you wanted if it did, you could measure that, perform a statistical test and say, great, this is actually better than that. Let's continue and move on forwards with the improved version. Um, but at the beginning of this, obviously, it was quite hard to do anything other than simple changes of text and buttons and colors. And so it was all very visual, these tests. And people actually did have a lot of success. And I think in the early days of the Internet, that changing words and changing colors and, and learning how people would interact with a browser, you could, you could learn a lot. Gradually, as people have been able to collect more data about people about what's going on the site you move away from things such as 
resizing elements and changing navigation structure to, okay, well, what are other people doing on the site right now? How can we get the information that we're collecting about our users and use it to drive persuasive changes on the site to make them want to purchase more? So we've seen this journey really from kind of the basic cosmetic changes through to kind of, okay, let's try and optimize for increasing things like conversion rate, which is a proportion of people who actually go on to purchase. And finally on to things like, oh, well, how can we make more people purchase more and how can we make them spend more using the data that we collect? Okay. So we've got to that kind of stage now, I think. Okay, so so what you're describing there is is, is what's termed A/B testing, wasn't it, at the start there? Yes. Where you've got kind of yeah, you've got kind of one, <clears throat> you've got kind of one version, a, a test version, and so those things you call tests, they're really when you kind of run these different versions, do the stats on it, and trying to understand, you know, was it statistically kind of significant and so on. I mean, so and and so again, that I suppose that area kind of grew to be what you call uh, A/B and is N testing and multivariate testing. Is a whole kind of world, isn't there, of trying those things but fundamentally i guess what you're doing is just kind of fiddling around with things and trying to understand you know which of the different kind of placements on the screen are the, the best but there's no real kind of like i suppose there's nothing particular about the, the viewer there is it's just kind of trying different places isn't it yeah it's it's exactly that's about the designs of so initially it was a lot about how we want to change design with the assumption, assumption that changing design would have an impact on user behavior. And, and by doing A-B testing, what you actually find out is what are the kind of things that you can change that actually cause real change in user behavior. And for a long time, they were done um, particularly badly and they were, weren't they weren't very well structured experiments, shall we say. Uh, and for a lot of people, that was fine. People really enjoyed the fact you got some data back and any data was good. Yeah. Uh, but now I think people are much keener to have, okay, we want the right data. We want the results of our experiments, our A-B test to be valid. And we want to be able to trust that moving forward, those kind of results actually mean something for the bottom line, which for a long time they didn't. Okay. Okay. So the work that you and Mike, that you and Mike do is you work in the, you're in the research department, aren't you at Qubit? So what kind of techniques and, 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 and data and, and kind of things you do within that area, really? Because you really are you know, examples of actual data scientists at work, aren't you? Um, yes, yeah, so I've been on the research team for about two and a half years now. Um, before that, I did a PhD in maths. Um, I've been a data scientist for about four years now. Um, so we mainly work in Python. Um, we, you know, we do a lot of SQL queries. Like um, our sort of data infrastructure is all built on um, Google Cloud services. Um, we use a lot of techniques from um, all sorts of areas of statistics like we we particularly like bayesian statistics at qubit um we we also do a lot of sort of machine learning this kind of thing um and a a lot of our day-to-day is more about sort of building out data-driven products for qubit rather than this kind of analysis okay and so will your pm aren't you for sort of the products that qubit build on this kind of research yes precisely so i kind of work within the product management team. I used to be a data scientist here at Qubit as well. Um, and we try and use the machine learning techniques we have to try and build solutions and products that actually cause changes in behavior because, I mean, that's what it all comes down to, I think. You can you can use machine learning to try and make the products that you're building better, try and make people more likely to spend more and make these changes that are more persuasive. But it's just one possible way of making people do more things. Uh, and some of the best techniques we've seen actually don't necessarily need machine learning. Um, a really good example everyone's familiar with product recommendations um and they're, they're they're a good thing they definitely have an impact they are they are a positive thing um they increase the amount of money that people tend to spend but the size of that effect is quite surprising when compared to something as simple as you have four left in stock 
a pointer that just tells you that there are a few items left in stock. One requires a lot of data, a lot of in innovations, algorithms, um, a massive pipeline. The other just really requires you to know what, what stock's available on site. And what's interesting about this, this analysis that we've done, the research, is really kind of puts into stark contrast that you, there's a difference between how complex and sophisticated the machine learning is and the end result in terms of user behavior. And those things can be completely independent, which is really fascinating because it becomes all about finding out what works rather than what's the cleverest thing you can do. Um, and at Keeper, we try and, do, try and do a bit of both because we want to be able to do the cleverest things we can do. We understand that they're not always the best way of providing kind of value um, and causing a persuasive change on a website. Okay, fantastic. And well, actually, you're the person I sat next to when I first arrived here. So you were you mm. were the uh, you were the kind of we did. Of we had a lot of chats. We did, yeah, yeah exactly. So so uh, yeah, fantastic. So let's get into this paper then. So just outline for us um, what this research paper was about and what were the kind of drive. I mean, you've mentioned a bit there about trying to find out what yeah. works, but give us a bit of a kind of background as to kind of you know the thinking behind it. And we'll get into the details in a minute. But how was it done, and 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 what was the kind of reason for it? Uh, well, I think I started doing something similar to this probably four years ago. And it was just to see, well, oh, is anything that we're doing working? And that was the first question. Um, is A-B testing a good idea at all? Um, which, which turned out it was, which is good. And then it kind of gradually grew to be, okay, well, can we help our, because here at Cuba we have a, a professional services team that go out to try and improve um, improve converge rates and improve the amount people spend for each of, for each of our clients. Um, can we help them be better at their jobs by telling them the kind of things that work? And we did a bit of that, and we we did. We, I think we had some pretty good success there because we helped focus the team on on the kind of techniques that that actually drive value. And then I think from that last year, we spent a lot a lot of time doing it actually slightly more sophisticated. And then this this year, Mike's really taken those ideas and run with them and um, turned them into something yeah. very sophisticated. Yeah, so it's, and I and I would say like the the scale of these things has really grown. Like um, I remember we did one of these maybe a couple of years ago, and there was there was maybe something like sixty experiments which we examined in some detail. And uh, this time around, we we got that number up to something like six thousand, seven thousand, something like that. Okay. Um, okay. So, so, so I guess probably someone listening might think, well, okay, this is a piece of marketing, or this is something that is just kind of some numbers which they've kind of which they've kind of played around with and, and made to look how you want to look. But tell us how I mean, tell us how you've done it because it's you know, it's been audited by by Price Waterhouse Coopers. It's been done at a scale. Talk, talk us through the methodology a little bit. So, yeah, again, as an example of a kind of research project done at scale like this. Yeah, I mean. No one's really going to believe you if you, as a marketing personalization and, and kind of experimentation vendor, says, yes, we do good experiments. No one's, no one's particularly going to believe that. Um, we, we really wanted it to be the first really trustworthy and assured and, and honest and transparent use case of saying, look, there's all these different ways you can do things. Um, and we've really tried to get across what you can expect from doing these kind of treatments. That was the idea. We want to be. We want to change the industry from being about, oh, you know, you can get a 30% uplifting conversion rate, or hey, you can get a 35% uplifting revenue by doing this one simple thing. Because I don't think anyone in the industry really believes that. I think a lot of people who work in e-commerce will understand that these claims are based on maybe a one-off. They're a, a massive statistical outlier. And so we thought it'd be interesting. Well, why don't we? instead of talking about the statistical outliers and the possibles, why don't we talk about what you could expect to get? What, 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 what is it, what is the most likely outcome of you doing some of this work? 
Okay. 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 That sounds good. I mean, so take us through that. Take us through some of the highlights of it, because obviously an academic paper is a lot in there. But what are some of the things out there that were kind of that you expected that you didn't expect, and, and so on? Hmm. Um, so um, we we kind of had a fairly good idea about what we were going to get um, going into it, because we we had done these analyses like before, and. Um, we had some feelings that um, things like, uh, so we call it scarcity. So this is where you're saying there's only three or something le- left in stock. Um, things like urgency. So this is where you have a, like a countdown timer counting down to like, um, you know, you only have three hours left to order to get next day in delivery or something like this. But also there was something, we, we have a fair like social proof where you're sort of talking about what other people are doing like this is fairly new, and we were we were quite interested to see how that went. So, so, so let's before we get before we get into details on that. Just I mean, so you've got a few things there. You've got social proof. You've got sort of scarcity and so on. What what are so what are they again? And how data driven are they? And 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 why would why why do people think they'd have an effect really? I mean, this this boils down to work done ages ago by people who are nothing to do with the e-commerce world. There was a, a great book by uh, Robert Caldini um, on the principles of persuasion where he broke down lots of sales techniques into, into basically um, authority, scarcity, what are the, then he uses another kind of a version of social proof, which I think he calls audience or something like that. And they're, they're, they're very well-known techniques in sales. And there is a lot of, there's a lot of evidence behind these. They're, they're actually, they're, there's theoretical evidence and then there's data-driven evidence of, of, of this work in the real world. So it's really just applying the same techniques that people use day-to-day selling cars, shoes and washing machines to the e-world of e-commerce. And the, the shift here is is from thinking that it's going to be the user interface that causes the changes in behavior and the persuasive messaging, when it seems to be the same things that have made us want to buy fruit for market stall for the last 10,000 years. It's, <laughs> the same principles still apply. Um, so, so the biggest winners in terms of the um, analysis we did were so everything that we're doing is in terms of um, how much we add to the sort of average basket spend for each visitor. So for each visitor who r- arrives on the site, like whether or not they buy anything, we, we kind of w- just want to know what the average amount that they spend. And um, so the, the things which we found were the best were scarcity. So this is, um, you know, only three left in stock. There was social proof, which was, um, sorry, so the scarcity is, was about 3% uplift. Uh, we had social proof, that was about 2% uplift, and urgency was about 1.5%. Um, and the other major finding that we had, that we, we weren't particularly surprised about this, was that the simple UI changes that people make basically have no impact on average. So just changing the color of a, an element on the page, that has literally a 0% average um, uplift, which doesn't mean to say that like um, every single color change will have a 0% effect. Just the average is completely neutral to change the color or something. And and also that factors in the cost, presumably, of actually doing the work as well and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think one of the ones that people were a bit surprised about was um, calls to action. So this is where you're sort of, changing the wording uh, on a website to be more suggestive. So rather than saying, um, you know, complete your order or something like that, you'll change the wording to like start your adventure or something um, more colorful like that. 
And um, our, our professional service team, I think they're quite keen on these. I think they, they had a feeling that they would have an impact. But again, they basically have, have no impact. They were basically neutral. Interesting. Is that because you think the, the effect of that has been diluted over the years? I mean, it was, I remember, remember that was a thing you did right a few years ago, really. Is it people are more used to that now? Or, or... There probably there are probably examples where it does work. I mean, there are, there are examples where it does work. And I think the reason that people hear about those examples and get quite excited about them, and it seems like a very easy thing to change, it's just the wording. It's a simple, like, it's a simple thing you can change. So people test them a lot. Um, on the off chance, they're going to have a big effect. And that's probably what happens is that enough people have tested them so that really you're just messing up with very small changes in wording which don't mean much. And I think the examples that tend to tend to have worked in the past have been um, changing the wording from make a reservation to continue. Um, and you can see that those they have a very different meaning. Um, and so they cause a very different change of behavior. So unless you're so that, that that's the example where it definitely does work. And, and I think we've seen we've seen cases where that's those changes do something but on average what we've seen is they don't because people don't do things like that they tend to focus on smaller changes which don't have the same effect okay okay so to take to take two areas that that are kind of data driven and using things like machine learning and so on i mean so if we look at what was the what was the the, the, the uplift and the benefit of things like kind of product recommendations because they're a kind of classic thing aren't they that everyone kind of learns when they're learning machine learning and big data and so on what did you find to be what did you find really the, with the effect of those and the usefulness of those so um, product recommendations were fairly interesting. Um, I mean, it's worth pointing out that product recommendations, there's different kinds of ways that you can do that. So you can either put them on the product listing pages. Um, so when someone clicks into a product, you'll have a set of like, you might also like these. But another way that people use them is like, once someone has reached the basket page, they're like, oh, people who like this also like this. Um, so what we found with product recommendations is it was actually fairly neutral in terms of um, getting more people to convert. So like if you weren't going to buy anything, um, like on average, product recommendations didn't really help with that. But we did find that um, out of the people who did buy things, they spent they tended to spend a little bit more. So product recommendations managed to um, raise the revenue by making um, – customers buy more and the effect was about the, the effect was not huge the effect was about a half a percent but it, it was one of the few treatments that did have a reliably positive effect okay okay and what about i mean obviously working at qubit and a lot of, there's other players in the industry as well that are using data from visitors actual activity and preferences and so on what, what was the finding about what was the finding for that kind of uh, that kind of work personalization and so on was was there much uplift in that or, or what so we did have a look at how um, we have we have an idea of you can segment experiences or segment tests or, or and not segment them based on customer attributes and visitor behavior. Um, and from the analysis we did, um, it's much kind of subtle there because you have different gradations of segmentation. You could say that maybe changing by mobile mobile user versus a desktop user is a very different user. But is that really the same as visitor preference? Because you think maybe something more like, well, have they bought T-shirts before is a much better indicator. So there's there's definitely a scale of how how personalised you might think these these experiences are, 
Um, but from a kind of a crude, either they are segmented or they're not, we found that on average, the, the expected impact of the kind of segmented version was, was three times higher. So it went from 0.3% in terms of uplift to 0.9%, which is interesting. Um, it may be it may well be indicative of what we see in the future. Um, it may not be. It's, it, it's, it's a good step on the journey towards personalization. I think that's what a lot of people are trying to get towards. But it does kind of show that I think if we delved into it, there's going to be good versions of segments, so segments that are usefully useful and and actually are differentiated from the rest of the population on the site and the, the kind of personalizations personalizations that aren't. Um, the example kind of we tend to give is you could change the color of the button for a user based on their first name. That would be very personalized, very kind of very very detailed based on really interesting user behavior, but that's very unlikely to have any impact in terms of how much they spend. So there's going to be good versions and bad versions of this. And so bucketing them all under the same kind of umbrella of how to use visitor preferences, it can basically be done well or can be done badly, like everything else. And what techniques did you use really? I mean, how, how the actual, the actual, I suppose, kind of method of doing this, how did that work out really? Um, so it, it was, uh, first thing I'll say is like, it was an awful lot of work. Um, it, it was very, very difficult. Um, we, we basically had to sit down with them go through in like excruciating detail, like every single step that we were going to do. And then they, they went away and came up with a, what they like, like a test basically that we could, we could, that they could perform on, um, the data that we gave them. And so that they could satisfy themselves that we had, um, sort of done our, uh, done the methodology as we said that we had to, we had done it. Um, and there were like various ways of doing this. So for example, like we use like a fairly, a fairly sophisticated statistical model to sort of boil down like all of the different tests into, into sort of like one score. That's quite a good explanation of what I can see in the paper is a Bayesian hierarchical model. I mean, I, th I think, I think sort of, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess the point is, is, is that to do this kind of well, there's lots of testing and testing of testing going on, isn't there as well. And actually what's interesting is the uplifts as well are fairly kind of, they're quite small as well. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so, so we were saying before about how, you know, in the industry, the numbers that people say are always so ridiculously large, they're like 30%. And um, when we released this paper, it actually, I think it went the other way. Like people were actually really surprised about how low the numbers were. Like um, and and like a little bit incredulous even that the numbers could possibly be that low. Um, so, so yeah, I guess you can't really win with these things sometimes. Yeah, but 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 there is a, but there I mean I, I, there, but there is a noticeable uplift, isn't there, when this is done properly? And I noticed in, in some of the material that's gone around this kind of report, you've talked about six percent. I mean, what what's that? What's that six percent? What does that mean, really? So that that, that six percent was in some of the materials. We basically just thought, well, you, we are seeing these kind of 0 0.2%, 0 0.4%, 2% 0 uplifts in revenue per visitor. But what about the cumulative impact of all of these? So for a single client of ours who's, or anyone really is running an optimization campaign, how can we understand what is the total effect of running lots of these different experiments over time? Uh, and we found for people who use the kind of the techniques that we found to work, unsurprisingly, um, they'd have multiple versions of each of these different kinds of techniques on their site running at any one time, um, still running them as experiments. Um, and the cumulative kind of 
well, the cumulative effect of all of those experiments at the same time led to a proportional uplift in on-site total revenue of kind of three, four, five, six, eight percent in some cases. Um, and so that's interesting because the 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 size of kind of a two percent on a subsection of your site that's not that's not a big impact. That's that's almost not worth doing if you're just going to do that one single thing. But when you start combining all of these techniques together, you do end up getting a kind of a, a revenue uplift that seems worth it. And of course, two percent. Yeah, of course, two percent of a large amount. I mean, two percent of of sort of uh, I don't know Amazon's numbers is a big amount, isn't it? Really? Oh, so yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, and and for those people, this is where scale is all important because for someone like Amazon, probably changing the uh, the color of a button if it had a zero point zero one percent effect would be worth doing. Um, but for most e-commerce vendors. If it's not above a one percent impact, then it's probably not worth. Okay, okay. So, so I mean, in terms of what the paper tells you and and kind of the impact on the industry, you know, I'm very conscious that you know there was the Amazon news the other week with kind of Whole Foods and so on. I mean, what 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 kind of what kind of messages and lessons and bits and nuggets of information are there in this for say e-commerce business? What is what, what's the implication of this and the message really? Well, as as I was going to out on a campaign if i wanted quick wins i would use the techniques we've got as things that have an impact i would certainly there are some other things that you definitely should be testing anyway there's a lot of hygiene testing so a lot of the cosmetic and ux changes we've talked about that don't have an impact i mean if you're doing a big site redesign it's still worth running them as a test because these things had a, a fairly high probability of being high or low so there was a lot of variance associated with that with, with these kinds of experiments uh, which means that if you didn't test it you run the risk of having a negative impact. You're not realising that you've actually had a negative impact on your site. So there's some hygiene and comfort reasons for doing these kind of experiments as well. Um, but once you've got past the initial stage of these quick wins, as it were, I mean, there's a whole load of other experiments that didn't fit neatly into categories, um, which had to do with kind of, they're more specific to each individual site. And as you learn more about your users and collect more data about them, then I think you can start being slightly more sophisticated about what you're trying to do you can still kind of lean on these techniques but there will be specific things based on your most loyal and, and most profitable users that, that that matter to you and i think once you've got past that initial stage of yeah we've got these initial uplifts you've got to start focusing on the data you have about your users to try and come up with those differentiated real really important personalization techniques which are going to be oh we found these differentiated user groups and we need to show them different things to get the most out of them Okay. Okay. And that, that just as an aside is what Qubit does, isn't it really? So, so, you know, obviously the, the product investment and so on is in that area, but it's a general kind of like piece of advice that that's correct. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it makes sense if there's going to be things that work across the board and then when you mm. get more data, you can personalize. Otherwise you're going to get kind of, yeah, you're not going to yeah. get the returns you want. Sure. Okay. And Mike, any, any kind of thoughts or, or, or feedback or anything you've had on, yeah, in terms of doing this piece of work and being the kind of lead lead kind of data scientist on this, any kind of any thoughts or advice or kind of comments really for the kind of the analysts and the big data people on the on the, on the listening in here? Um, I think in I think it's interesting to to note that the like there's there's always so much uncertainty in e-commerce like you you can you can measure things to an a um sort of a degree of accuracy away where you can say like we're 95 percent sure that you know adding this scarcity message has a positive impact but like the problem with e-commerce is like not really many people have enough data to say um you know, we managed to raise revenue by somewhere between, you know, 35 and 4%. Like most people just don't have enough data for that. 
so I'd say that like um, yeah, just just always be be thinking about the uncertainties of your measurements and and you know work really hard to try and remove that sort of um, that feeling that you have some certainty there. So, Will, where would somebody get hold of this paper um, if they're interested in it? So, I th- <laughs> there are, you can either search for it on Hacker News, which would be the way to find the academic paper, probably. Um, you could Google what works in e-commerce, um, which I think it will come up with. Or the most easy and sensible way of doing that is to visit the Qubit website. Um, so it'll be qubit.com uh, and check out the, the research area there. And there's two versions of the paper. There's the marketing kind of friendly version, um, which is good and tells the story in much more of a narrative way. And then there's the academic paper, which has more detailed information about each of the tables, each of the treatments and the kind of effects you can expect to see. Of course, me and Mike would always recommend you read the academic version, um, but others might want to read the marketing Excellent. Well, look, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Will, for this. I mean, it's been excellent speaking to you. Um, and um, yeah, really interesting to see a kind of a, a large scale data science project at work and a bit of a, a bit of a kind of insight into the e-commerce world, which is, you know, very it's, it's a big user of data and so on. And a lot of you know, very data driven as well. So it's been great to, uh, to speak to you both. Thanks, thanks Mike. For having us.